You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf. And welcome to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. As always, I'm your host, Ben Wolf. I'm very pleased to have an extremely special guest today. Uh, with him, we're going to talk about how to successfully make leadership team changes uh, from the former visionary of EOS Worldwide. Um, the uh, ask you guys to, as always, subscribe, leave a review, uh, make sure that you get access to this in the future. That enables other people to get more access to the content in the future, and that would be awesome. Uh, with that, I want to get into introducing our guest today. I'm very excited. So our guest today is the uh, is the recent visionary of EOS Worldwide. Uh, was there for five years from 2015 until just earlier this year, and currently serves as EOS Worldwide's global ambassador. Uh, he's an award-winning speaker, author, and certified EOS implementer at his company, Achieve Traction. He's the co-author, together with Gino Wickman, the founder of EOS, uh, of Get a Grip, How to Get Everything You Want from Your Entrepreneurial Business. That's an entrepreneurial fable, really cool story. I'll put the link on how to get that in the, uh, in the description and the social media posts. Uh, he was, he was I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the first EOS implementer back in around 2007. You can get more information about him at his, uh, at, of course, EOS Worldwide, but at his current company and at his longtime company's website, AchieveTraction.com. And with that, I give you Mike Payton, who I'll call Payton. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, for those people out there, those few people who maybe don't know who you are, if you could just give a quick two-minute background, a quick two-minute history, like we say at the 90-minute meetings, but a quick two-minute history on kind of where you came from, how you got to be doing what you are now as the global ambassador of EOS yeah, Worldwide you, and being a certified EOS implementer. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try not to make this too long, but, you know, I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My grandparents were teachers. My parents were entrepreneurs. Um, after a 10, 11-year career in banking <clears throat> just out of college, always knowing that I wanted to do my own thing someday, I began uh, the first of four entrepreneurial leadership experiences running or helping run uh, entrepreneurial companies. And the fourth of those experiences brought me to the Twin Cities uh, here in Minnesota mm -hmm. um, to run a $7 million company. And I was frustrated. Three days in, I knew I had jumped myself into a real challenging situation. And I was trying to reach the founding owner and collaborate with her to take the company to the next level. And a neighbor of mine introduced me to uh, the book Traction and his business coach, as he called him, his EOS implementer, Gino Wickman. And uh, I fell in love with EOS. It was simple and practical and consistent with, you know, thoughts and, and preferences I had had as a business owner or business leader, but just so much more complete and holistic and and uh, easy to use than anything I could have created on my own. And so uh, within a couple of months, I had left that business and became uh, the graduate of the second ever boot camp class mm. that Gino and his business partner, Don Tinney, held in um, Detroit uh, back in November of 2007. And uh, I was one of two people from that class who stuck. My uh, mm -hmm. good friend Renee Bohr and I were classmates. Oh, wow. Um, and so uh, the rest is history. I became a professional EOS implementer, hit my numbers and took good care of my clients and developed a bit of a name for myself. And Gino tapped me on the shoulder 
four or five years later and asked if I'd be interested in being considered as his successor in the visionary seat, which was obviously a real honor. And, and here we are today. Right. And that's, and that's really cool. I mean, look, as, uh, as spending those years as a certified U.S. implementer, you, you know, did tons of sessions with all of your clients that you mentioned taking care of. I'm curious when you, when you took on the role of visionary at EOS worldwide, what, what did you learn about that was surprising about like entrepreneurship and having a business, I guess, from that perspective of being, uh, of being in that role at, at EOS worldwide, what did you learn? What was surprising about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship, <laughs> I, I guess, when you got into that seat? Yeah. But so, um, you know, I'll, I'll come at that from a kind of a funny angle, at least mm-hmm. it's funny to me, whether your listeners agree or not is, is up to them. But, um, you know, what I learned is being an expert at implementing EOS in somebody else's business doesn't make it any easier to implement it in your own business, to be Mm. perfectly candid with you. I can't tell you how many times Gino, who was EOS Worldwide's leadership team's uh, EOS implementer, um, would say, Peyton, you're just as bad as all our clients. You know, we, we, what do you mean I have to repeat the core value speech every quarter? You know, please. So, so, you know, running a business is hard and being a member of a leadership team is hard and being accountable is hard. And I think that's probably the thing that I was reminded of immediately is that um, we as EOS implementers have a great luxury in that we only become a member of the teams we serve once a quarter. And so, you know, that makes it easier for us to, you know, be open and honest and not worry about having to live with that person that we may have offended Mm -hmm. for the next 89 days or so on and so forth. And so there is a vast difference between an experience that you have as a part of a leadership team and the experience you have as a helper of the leadership team is probably the biggest lesson. Right. Right. A lot more, right. A lot more empathy, I guess, for what's going on with your clients. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, although several of my clients would argue that uh, that didn't manifest itself in uh-huh. nicer or more forgiving in the sector room. But, uh, right, still tough on them. That's right. The, uh, right, and, and, and that is interesting. Obviously, in most other companies, the visionary, kind of the visionary leader of the organization is usually the owner, the founder, or something like that very often. Um, you were in a you were in a unique role, and obviously Mark O'Donnell, your successor as visionary of EOS Worldwide, is in, also in, a, in this unique role of taking over the role of visionary and having to transition in that role, which is less common. Um, what what was it like? I guess what was it like transitioning visionaries in a company, EOS Worldwide? Yeah, so um, you know, I think to answer that question, um, a listener needs to understand the nature of EOS worldwide, the organization at each stage in, in our visionary tenures for what it's worth. So when I took over as the visionary from Gino, the visionary role was really the leader of the EOS implementer community, which at the time was 60 professional EOS implementers strong. In 2015. Uh, January, for January 1 of 2015, right. there were about 60 EOS implementers that would come to our quarterly collaborative mm-hmm. exchanges and, and serve clients around the world. And, um, and so he was the leader of that community. He was the owner of the IP and the purity of its application within the community. So brand consistency and 
execution consistency from the brand. When anybody had a question about how to do things the right way, you know, their first call would be to Gino mm-hmm. and uh, in the early days. And, uh, and so I took over that part of the job. I took over the part of the job that was the classic visionary of trying to imagine what's next and take the company to the next level and overcome obstacles and barriers and, and those sort of things. Big ideas, big relationships, face of the company promotion, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. What happened during my five-year tenure, a little more than five years, is the organization grew exponentially. One of the first things we did is started increasing the number of new implementers eligible to come to boot camp every quarter. And so the community started growing uh, very rapidly. And so it became clear early on that we needed to break that community leadership role out and create a coaching to team to... Mm lead and service the EOS implementer community. And so that was all happening with me as the visionary. Um, But by the time we got to, let's just say January of 2019, um, I was aware that in order to continue as the visionary of the organization, even with that community function being built out beautifully. And you, where you had coaches. And- yeah, we, we had a full coaching team, some real leaders in our community doing great work serving and meeting the needs of newer implementers or longtime implementers like me who see something in a session room and don't know how to handle it. We need, we need, we need to phone a friend sometimes. Right. Um, and so we built all that out, but the job was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I, I, it, I reached a point where I realized if I was going to be effective in that visionary role, I had to go full time. And that would have required me to give up my implementer practice, which right. I had maintained at about half time uh, since taking over as the visionary. And I, I just, I couldn't do it. I, I realized that I, I feel like I'm better at and love to do more. Mm-hmm my job as a professional EOS implementer than I was at being the visionary of the organization. And so I made the tough decision to step away, gave a year plus notice and began working to prepare for the transition to the next generation visionary. Um, And so that's, that's how we managed through that, uh, that whole deal. Um, You know, to, to answer your original question, the reason we succeeded one visionary for the other is the visionary was working really hard in this organization when I took over. Gino busted his tail every day and and we couldn't transfer the visionary role of the organization to other members of the leadership team because it was such a unique animal. And so it just mm-hmm. made sense to transition visionaries. And again, when we made the decision to bring in a next generation visionary, it made sense to uh, do that again. Right. And so in addition to the, in addition to what you said about adding the whole coaching team and, and the support of the EOS implementers, did that change after you came on board? What other changes were there with you as visionary? Well, we, we began breaking the growing worldwide community into um, regional communities mm-hmm. as part of a whole. So for example, um, we now have community leaders in Sydney, Australia, in uh, Denver, uh, representing the Western uh, part of North America. Mm-hmm. In Detroit, our longtime home base is for people primarily from the Eastern half of 
North America, and um, and we have community leader and builder selected for our European region, uh, headquartered in uh, the UK. Is that Julia? Uh, actually, no. It's actually Dean Braley from oh, okay. uh, from the south of England, and okay. same uh, his name. And uh, uh, Alexander Seely from uh, the Netherlands. Oh wow! And and Julia obviously is an informal leader in the community and a rock star and my very good friend. So um, certainly, uh, she will play a pivotal role as well. Awesome. So that that would I say be the the biggest change. We just right. recognize that, um, you know, with four hundred people in the community, micro communities are going to form, and we wanted to drive that change and make sure they got. Uh, treated as well as we all got treated as we were building the first community in Southeast Michigan a hundred years ago. Right. And what, and what's, I guess I'm curious, what's, uh, what's different in the transition from you to Mark O'Donnell, the, the new visionary, like what, what's different now, I guess, about that transition and how did you manage that? Yeah. So um, the, what's different about the role is that there is nothing related to EOS implementation owned by the visionary on our mm. accountability chart anymore, mm -hmm. even though Mark is a world-class certified EOS implementer. And, and he's a head and, coach, or he was. And he, I don't know if and he still he, is. He's the former head coach. And okay. so he would have been qualified for that part of the job had we made the structure first, people second decision to structure it that way. But But using the structure first, people second approach to building out the accountability chart, what we decided was community leadership is already a seat held by my good friend and longtime business partner, CJ Dubay, on the EOS Worldwide Leadership Team and the head coach and recruiting and mm -hmm. uh, matching implementers with prospective clients, all those functions exist comfortably under CJ's direction. Mm -hmm. And so, the visionary for the organization in the, of the future is one that's focused exclusively on extending the reach of this organization and, and, and helping EOS worldwide grow through opportunities we haven't yet imagined. And, and, and right. Mark is able to do that because he feels so comfortable with CJ and her team of leaders to lead the community function. And so, that right. just frees his time and energy up to be thinking about where the puck's going and, and getting there first, uh, rather than being stuck in the uh, you know, midst of serving the day to day. community. Right. Yeah. And, and, and plus, I think it was decided he's, he's also going to be transitioning out of his certified EOS implementer clients. Yeah, but owing to that discovery we made that there's no way you could do this job right. on a part-time basis anymore. It's just there's too many uh, worldwide opportunities popping up for EOS to capitalize on, and we just need somebody's full time and attention uh, right. to, to, to be, be prepared to make good decisions about where we go with those things. Right. Oh, that's it. You know, it's amazing. You have, you have inspiring people like George Washington that decided, you know, he was going to stop running after two terms. And you have Gino Wickman that, uh, that, you know, that made the decision to take that approach and, and, and you and, you know, certainly I'm comparing you to George Washington, but, you know, 
just uh, well yeah so that, that kind of humble humble leadership is, is well that's that's very kind of you it helps a lot that then that we teach this stuff for a living and we watch transitions fail all the time and so you know what i said to gino when when i accepted the challenge of of filling his very big shoes is I can commit to 10 years, but the minute I start feeling like I might be holding the organization back, I want to be the guy raising his hand and, and shouting that from the treetops, not the guy you're wondering how to approach and let him know. So, you know, my biggest question every year as I was doing my quarterly and annual thinking is, am I still the right next generation visionary for this organization? And and it became pretty clear that if I was going to have a chance to answer that question, yes, I was going to have to go full time. And so I got out of the way. I don't, I don't ever want to hold this organization back, not just because, uh, you know, I'm a shareholder, but because um, I care deeply about what we're building here. And, and I care deeply about EOS Worldwide's ability to help entrepreneurs around the globe. And I would never want to get in the way of our ability to continue expanding our opportunity to do that. Right. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned all the failed transitions at the leadership team level, because that's really what I wanted to try to build up to with, with what we were talking about till now, which is, yeah, what are the biggest mistakes? What are the biggest reasons for failure of transition at the leadership level? Yeah. So, you know, you know I, would, I would say within an EOS company, um, you know, EOS teaches a couple of things that reduce the likelihood of failure. And so I'm going to talk about companies that may or may not be running on EOS. So number one, a, a people first structure second approach to transition. Right. My most loyal leadership team member is Sam. And so Sam's the heir apparent. Okay. Right. The, the danger of that decision making. What, what role can we give to Sam? Yeah, the danger, the danger of that decision-making process is what Sam loves to do and is great at might not be the same as what the organization needs from whatever seat you're vacating. And so um, loyalty is only one uh, component. Friendship is only one component. You know, you need somebody who fits the culture of the organization for sure. And if you're doing an internal transition, generally that's true. But where that kind of maneuver breaks down is when the job and the skill sets and passions of the person don't don't match. And I see that happen a lot. Right. And, you know, it's a, it's a thing, right? It's the Peter principle. You promote someone beyond their useful ability to contribute to the organization and they right. go from being a key asset to the company to holding it back. That's not good for the person and it's not good for the organization. Right. You know, and as we're talking, I know we talked about this. If, if you could think of any like clients you've dealt with or any examples, that would be, it would be great. I guess whether on the positive or on the negative side. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I could, I'm going to aggregate client stories into an am, amalgam of, of examples because I don't ever want to give away some client secret, yeah, but for I, sure. the, most, the most frequent, uh, example of this happens in the sales management, marketing and sales management leadership seat, where you have a solid individual contributor, well-liked by the clients, well-respected by the other salespeople, um, get promoted into a sales management seat. And 
um, that fails with alarming regularity because the skills and assets of a great individual salesperson or new business developer or account manager, whatever you want to call it, the attributes of that kind of person are often very different than the attributes of somebody who drives accountability of other people like them. Right. So that would be the most common specific example. Right. Any, any other big things that come to mind? So we talked, you know, you mentioned about taking a people first, structure second kind of approach. Yeah. Uh, any, other, any other big things that are the big mistakes people make in, in changes in leadership teams? Yeah, and, and, and um, it, it is an over-reliance, Ben, on what somebody has done to get you where you are and an under-reliance on what you're going to need in your organization for the next five to 15 years. And so, right. you know, when you work with entrepreneurial organizations, they're growing rapidly enough that most of the leadership team is unfamiliar with the kind of company they plan to be five years from now. Right. And so that gets scary pretty quick when all of a sudden the leadership team's sitting around thinking to themselves, what would a company that has 500 employees do in this situation? And the biggest company you've ever been affiliated with had 100 employees. And so specific example there is a client that was growing rapidly organically was well-funded because they were very profitable and they had interest from investors who were willing to help them, them engage in a roll-up strategy to acquire other regional providers. And they had a world-class controller as the owner of their finance seat, really mm -hmm. strong, tactically, totally fit the culture, really good. And they started feeling like they needed a next generation CFO. And, um, you know, the, the, they ultimately made the right decision. But the hardship that they were enduring is this controller had earned the opportunity to grow into that role. Right. But, but at the end of the day, when it became clear that you might be merging four or five organizations over the next five years into this company. And we need somebody with experience doing that and managing multiple sets of books for a period of the year until we can put, you know, the, the controller finally said, I'll tell you what, I'd love to learn from the person we hire for that role so that five years from now, I'm ready to take that role myself. But right now, I, I don't know how to do that. And I think the organization needs Right. Somebody who's already done that at least once. And right. so those are the kinds of tough decisions that, that are easier when the person himself or herself says, I'm not qualified for right. the job. It's really hard when you're the integrator or the visionary and you've got to have that conversation with, a, with an employee that you love. Right. Right. It's, well, it's that phrase, that not, just, not just what got, you know, not just what got you here is not going to get you there, but also who got you here is not necessarily. That's, that's exactly right. Somebody on the team, it's so helpful when a team of five people mm -hmm. is IDSing an issue and only one person has experience with that kind of issue before. Right. And that person says, well, at ABC company, we dealt with the same thing and we chose between these three options and we chose this for this reason, but all three are valid. What do you guys want to do? And, and right. when you have that conversation, it, you know, what I, what I love to say is if the first thing you do when you're trying to figure out what to do in that situation is Google the subject matter, <laughs> that's a problem. Right. 
Well, and that actually gets into one of my, my big themes now. I mean, uh, I don't know. If, I don't. I don't remember if in any of our emails or conversations that I mentioned this, I'm working on a book on fractional leadership mm. uh, because as you know, it's, it's, it's a great tool and, uh, and there's a, a limit to, I'm actually having a conversation with Damon Neth who wrote a, a, a book on a, one of the certified EOS implementers that wrote a book on a related topic. And it's, um, and it's, you know, I guess I just wonder what's your experience on that of like bringing in someone who's been there and done that for these kind of challenges using fractional leadership, someone who has done integrations of, of M&A companies or whatever kinds of issues they are and using that as a tool to either level up the current leadership team or, or perhaps take over seats if you, you know, till you find or when you don't need to find somebody full time. Yeah, and, 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 you know, in all candor, I've seen it work really well and I've seen it blow up. Um, you know, what we talk about a lot is, you know, all things being equal, if you can afford a next generation leader who commits for a long period of time, fits your culture beautifully, and is going to meet the needs of the organization in their position for, you know, five to 10 years, that's the right option. Right. Uh, an entrepreneurial company is often bootstrapped. And so you don't have the net profit or the, or the capital to deploy for an executive that's a couple of pay grades above what you're used to. And so then you're stuck with a choice. Do I promote somebody and develop them from within that maybe doesn't have the experience? Right. Or do I look for a fractional solution that has the experience, but I'm not paying them full time because I really don't need them full time. And what I would say is I see that work most frequently in the finance seat. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, that seems to be a position that for, for which fractional ownership uh, works really well. Um, I, I've started seeing it working more and more often in the marketing or sales management seat. Um, almost always the intention is for it to be a temporary solution until we get to the point where it makes sense to have right. either the person actually or somebody else full time. And it works. And the, the only caution I give my clients is, you know, know that you're going to be a little less sure that a fractional resource isn't in your organization with one foot on the dock and one foot on the, in the canoe. Right. And, and so um, there's nothing can you, wrong. Can you unpack that a little bit more? What you're saying? Yeah. What I, what I mean is um, uh one of the most common things you'll hear a visionary say is I want somebody who's all in, right? That I can count on them. And when the going gets tough, they're not just gonna, you know, pack their toothbrush up and never come back to my apartment, right? It's a marriage when, it, when it's a leadership team member versus, right. versus a serious right. Dating. live in relationship. Shacking, shacking right? up. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean by that. And so, so what, what, what I believe is that both parties need to be able to talk into that concern so it becomes a topic of conversation, not this, you know, unspoken, unspoken worry. Um, and when, when those conversations happen, then you can find a fractional relationship where the person is completely transparent with you about what they're thinking and, and you can be transparent with them about what you know, worries or concerns or signs you're seeing that are problematic. And then it's just an issue. But if you never, if you're so afraid that you don't bring it up, 
it 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 doesn't work particularly well. Right. Well, that, that that's super helpful. I mean, in terms of look, that just goes back to the open and honest thing. I know with my fractional leader, I mean, fractional integrator clients. I, I do my best to be open and honest, even if it's stuff like this, that's like, about like, you know, commitment level, timing, how much yeah. time do I need per week? What about the day per week, the, the days per week that you're not generally yeah. working with me? Like what, what happens then if we need something? Do we have to wait every issue? If, I get, if it comes up, you know, the, the night after we are, my day with you, do I have to wait a week to talk about it? Like, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. kind of have those honest conversations. Yeah, and that's it, You're, you nailed it, right? Because, because you know for a fact as a fractional integrator yourself that, it would be lovely if your clients took turns uh, scheduling their crises with right. Clients, like, right? Just make sure your crisis always falls on a it, Monday. It, inevitably, inevitably, all three of the organizations you're serving have their crisis at the same hour of the same day. And, and so, you know, I, it, transparency is the key and just acknowledging that this is the nature of our relationship and you're hiring me to deliver results and I'm, and you have every right to hold me accountable to delivering those results, but I can't be, um, you know, I can't be three places at one time. And so if ever that happens, we're going to get on the phone and figure out how I can pay attention to what you need me to pay attention to as right. fully as I can. That that's the kind of conversation I'm trying to set up when a client is considering a fractional a leadership position. And as long as they're comfortable having those conversations, it can work great. And it's sure as heck better than not filling the seat or leaving yourself, right. you know, as I say, trying to fill the seat with half an ass is, right. uh, is, is not a great idea because most of us, you know, struggle to stay focused on one seat, much less three. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, so I think that's great. I wouldn't even, I, I wasn't even thinking in advance of getting onto that topic, but I, I couldn't help but think of it when, you know, when we were talking about leadership team level changes, because you just don't have somebody that's been there, that's done that, that can really, you know, they can't really do what you need in the next five to 10 years. That's right. Uh, so that's yeah. great. And um, look, great what we, you know, what you were able to share about about changes the leadership team level, even the highest level, you know, CEO, yeah. the CEO says, you know, kind of like with the visionary, the CEO says, I really need to bring in another CEO. Like, you know, I own this company. It's great, but I can't lead a $50 million company. I've just never done it before. And I don't think I'm going to do ourselves justice. I'm not gonna do myself justice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, again, the advantage of being a professional EOS implementer is I'm, I'm counseling, leaders all the time who are struggling with letting go of their authority and and responsibility in the organization when it's clear to the rest of the leadership team that right. they're beyond their capacity. Um, and it's a tough move to make because you've earned it. You've earned the respect you've got. You've earned the right to be the leader and, and all of that stuff. But, but at the end of the day, with a voice in my head just keeps saying, what are you going to love doing and hit out of the park every day? And if it isn't the five roles in the seat you own for the next five years of this organization, because it's grown or your industry has changed or technology is all of a sudden much more important and you're not good with technology or whatever the reason is, or your kids are in high school and you want to watch their, you know, sports more regularly than you're able to as an executive, whatever the reason is, if you're not feeling like you can hit your job out of the park every day, I just urge you to talk to your fellow leadership team members about that, get their open and honest feedback 
and take stock of whether or not this is good for the organization and good for you and put the needs of the organization, the greater good first. Um, and I promise you, you're going to be happier, well-paid, um, and feel better about things uh, in a seat that you're hitting out of the park every day. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. And like you said, it's always better when the person themselves, the CEO or whoever it is in the leadership is pointing that out yeah. themselves. It, it makes it a lot easier and, 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 and more successful. Yeah, I had a client yesterday who one of the leadership team members put herself on the issues list. And, mm -hmm. you know, after 13 years of doing this work, that doesn't shock me at all. The first time it happened, I thought somebody had a stroke. I, I couldn't believe, you know, right. that's, man, that's courageous. But I've seen, so, <laughs> I've seen it so many times now because that's what happens in an EOS company. There's there's no place to hide in an EOS company. Your vision component, your people component, your data components are strong. And when you're starting to let signs show to the rest of the leadership team that you're not on top of things, there's no mystery. You know they're noticing. And so, so you, you really have to reckon with, with what's going on in, in a kind of organization that creates that level of transparency. Right. Well, it's, it's really very much appreciate everything you've shared now. And, uh, and you know, hopefully people can, can, can get some bravery and strength from, you know, from hearing this kind of open and honest talk about, about changes on the leadership team, which is not always easy. So really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure, Ben. Yeah, so thanks for coming on. And uh, we appreciate everybody else for joining us. And we'll see everybody else on the other side. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.